0: What is the fastest, most scalable web platform out there? Is it Pyramid running on top of MongoDB with a Redis cache? Maybe Flask and Postgres as a service with some high-performance cluster or some funky Go API framework? No, it's static files. But today, static files does not mean that you write a bunch of HTML. With static site frameworks and generators like Lector and Pelican, you can use data to drive the creation of static sites and then host them wherever makes the most sense for you. On this episode, you'll meet Joseph Nix, who works on Lecter, a Python-based static site generator. This is Talk Python to Me, episode 160, recorded April 19th, 2018. Welcome to Talk Python to Me, a weekly podcast on Python, the language, the libraries, the ecosystem, and the personalities. This is your host, Michael Kennedy. Follow me on Twitter where I'm at mkennedy. Keep up with the show and listen to past episodes at talkpython.fm and follow the show on Twitter via at talkpython. This episode is sponsored by Linode and Rollbar. Please check out what they're offering during their segments. It really helps support the show. Hey Joseph, welcome to Talk Python.
1: Hi, thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, it's great to have you here. I'm really excited to talk about Lector and more broadly these static site generators because they're such, a, such an interesting way to build web applications that I think are really the quite the opposite of full stack, data driven, yes. scale out, this and that, right?
1: Yeah, definitely. But they definitely have a huge place, a a good need, I think.
0: Yeah, and I think Lector lives in a pretty interesting space in that realm as well. Before we get into it, though, let's start with your story. How did you get into programming in Python?
1: My uh, My story is kind of fun, I think. So I didn't start out wanting to be a programmer at all. I grew up interested in physics and math. That was all that I was about. I wanted to be an astrophysicist since I was a little, little kid. Uh, So I went to school at UAH in Rocket City, Alabama. That's where they built the Saturn V. And I wasn't taking any programming classes except for one that was mandatory. It was a C++ class that I struggled through. (laughs) (laughs) But I met some cool friends. And for fun, we would spitball ideas. We'd talk about cosmology and things like this. And uh, we ended up... Again, for fun, inventing a kind of rocket engine. So Probably I like didn't see that engine. coming. <laughs> <laughs> it's a well, it's a it's a small thing, at least uh, physically. Uh, it's a kind of electric propulsion device, which I would I could talk about for forever, basically. <laughs> but it's pretty cool, and we researched it on paper. And we decided to form a company to protect the intellectual property with aspirations of actually doing physical R&D and doing something with it. Right. So we did that. And then we realized, well, okay, now we've got this company and we want to do rocket research and we have no money at all because we're poor college students. Right. There's no hiring engineers or things like that, right? (laughs) No. We considered various ways to remedy that, but what we decided was we looked at everybody else that was doing something similar. There's all sorts of space entrepreneurism going around at the time and still now. And almost all of these that we could find were founded or funded by people who made their money in software.
0: Right. I mean, we've got SpaceX, we've got the blue, blue Blue origin. Yeah, 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 exactly. And some, probably other, bunch of others we, I don't Virgin know. Virgin Galactic, Richard yeah, yeah, exactly. Branson.
1: I mean not entirely software, but a lot of it. But absolutely, people, all these software executives and founders, it seems like they maybe even had it in their mind a long time ago that this is what they wanted to do. They really just wanted to go to space. And they they thought of some novel software applications that are useful in and of themselves and interesting in and of themselves, but will help them get to space as well.
0: That's really interesting. So how'd that get you into programming?
1: So we decided we needed to teach ourselves software so we could make some money to do this (laughs) rocket research. So that's exactly what we did. So kind of from the very beginning, for me, I was talking with my friends and we decided what we wanted to do. We we looked at the various programming languages out there from a completely fresh perspective because none of us were programmers, really. looked at PHP, we looked at Fortran, we looked at C, Python, and we kind of felt that Python was maybe the way to go. It seemed like it was becoming popular. We read about why, we experimented with a few languages, and we liked Python. So we dove in and it stuck. It was very easy to pick up.
0: That's definitely one of its superpowers. Uh, and also so many of the languages that are easy to pick up there that way because they give up sort of the professional high-end proper architecture. And Python seems to live in this space where like you can start without all the structure and objects and separation and packages, and but but it can grow into that as you need it, right? So I think that's part of the secret sauce.
1: Yeah, definitely. When we first started out learning Python, I was still having a hard time wrapping my head around OO. You know, uh, just doing very basic imperative and functional things to get our feet wet. But it grew and I've been doing Python now for a decade and I feel pretty comfortable.
0: We'll get into the lecture and all this stuff. I just want to ask (laughs) you, given that that story, did you watch Falcon Heavy launch?
1: Yes, I did. Oh, my goodness. It made me cry.
0: (laughs) I thought that would be kind of a major thing, but then like, you watch it and it's just like, oh my gosh, like people are still doing amazing stuff in space, even though the government seems to have given up on
1: it. Yes. And that was really frustrating too at the time. So we started learning Python out back in like the mid-2000s, which was right before the economic crash in 2008. And people, when, which is when we were starting to get good at Python, we were trying to be consultants, but... It's was hard to find a job. People weren't really hiring then. And all these spaceflight companies were struggling too because, again, everything was kind of suppressed a little bit. And they were trying to get off the ground running with something aggressive in the first place. But they've pushed through and they've done great things. And I'm super excited to see where all where all of them go.
0: Yeah, watching those two outer rockets land and, well, I guess the third one try to land, was just, it was like... Oh my gosh, we are in science fiction land, but it is like happening, right? It's just, when I saw that, I'm like, that is something you would see in a movie. That is not something you would see in reality.
1: No, it was just unbelievable. I think they had a video where they tried to show what this will look like before it actually happened. And they had the two rockets land separated in time. And I don't know if they were planning on them actually landing just identically together, I'm, my guess is they wanted that, but they weren't going to bank on it, so they didn't want to get everybody's hopes up. <laughs> Boy, it just looked ridiculous.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm so looking forward to the next five years. Uh, what's happening around there? All right, we could t- we could totally turn this <laughs> into a space show, but let's stay focused on the stuff that that came after your project. <laughs> right. Just to f- oh, just to sort of close it out. Like, are you is that company still exists? Has anything happened of it?
1: Yes, definitely. We have grown in skill, and we're now a A stable company. Our company is named Terminal Labs. Uh, We're a small Python consulting shop. We work contracting for other companies to do whatever it is they need. In the past, we've done a lot of full stack web development. Uh, We've worked with Django and Flask, some really big Django projects. And we've also loved it any chance we can get to do any science. So, data science and machine learning are really exciting. And we're getting more and more into that all the time. We've got a pretty strong DevOps background. So all this is keeping us employed and raising our skill level further so that we can eventually make a rocket. That's awesome.
0: All right. So that sort of brings us to what you're doing today. And that's that's really where you're still focused is is sort of continuing to grow the consultancy and stay and play, play basically play in the science space when possible.
1: Yes, absolutely. And making connections and yeah our our end goal is to get to space and how exactly we're going to transition there time will tell we've got some ideas but this has been a pretty good course so far and i think it'll work
0: very cool glad to see that that's still going so let's talk about the project that you've been involved with sort of most broadly at first uh, with static site generators so Many people who listen to the podcast are web developers, but a lot of people are scientists, or data scientists, or even students. So maybe just like, could you compare and contrast say a static site generator experience to like, let's say, um, like a traditional web app? You talked about Flask and Django, either of those?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So with a traditional web app, you have a server. There's a server on the cloud that you that a user will hit and make a query to, and then that server does some logic and often connects with a database to dynamically generate something to return to your browser. And a static site generator doesn't need any of that, and often I'd recommend against it. Like, you could put it behind Flask, but there's really no need. The build products of a static site generator are basic HTML.
0: The trade-off, like, You know, it seems at first, like, so the trade-off is I could just create a bunch of JS, CSS, and HTML files and just write them. But that becomes super tedious super quickly, right? Like, if even if you just want the same look and feel across multiple pages, right, like, if you've got twenty pages like that, and uh, somebody comes in, either boss, client, whatever, says, "I would love for that background over here to be blue, and the font to like reorder the menu." That's not hard, right? <laughs> but if you actually hand code it, like it, it sucks, right? You got to go and change all those. But on the other hand, if you got to maintain databases, scalability, security patches, etc., that also can be painful. Sometimes it's totally needed. Like from for my site, like it has to be dynamic. It absolutely needs a server and a database, but many sites don't,
1: right? Absolutely. The history of it is, is we started with those raw HTML and CSS, and that was absolutely a pain. You're completely right. I hate coding CSS. (laughs) But the reaction to that was to build these very complicated web servers, and not everybody needs that either. So these static site generators came around as a bit of a compromise for people who don't want to build these basic... HTML sites with CSS by hand because that is enormous pain, but they don't need the power of an actual logic backend in a database. All they really want is to make their lives easier creating the static content. And things like Jinja really help a lot with that and web templating. Right.
0: And so for example, like you probably still want some kind of data driven site created like like you could have a blog and you want to add a new entry and have that appear and be linked to possibly under like various categories and stuff but you want to be able to like i guess the thing is you don't need to show a different version of the blog to anyone right they all it's totally fine if they all get the same one so instead of doing that at runtime on the server over and over but always giving the same result like just crank out like somehow on your machine at a like a move to production time, you generate that and then you just put the static files there. Right.
1: And it ends up being really nice in production too, because all these files are prebuilt. So all the that you need to do is put this HTML on a CDN or something, and then they get served incredibly quickly. So it's very performant. So from a production standpoint, it's faster to do this for the user than to actually query, for example, a flask backend that is just doing the same thing, just generating a simple HTML for everybody and giving it giving it out.
0: I guess you can even mix them, right? So suppose you've got some section of your app that is like a store, obviously you would like people to, <laughs> that to be dynamic, but the rest of it maybe <laughs> not. You could use something like Nginx and like URL routing to say this part routes to like a Flask app or pyramid app, this part routes to, to the static content.
1: You can definitely do that. Nginx is a great way to segregate those sorts of things. So you can have a static site generator made with Lecter, for instance, and a Flask part of your website that is dynamic content, but not the blog because the blog doesn't need that, not the flat landing pages because it doesn't need that. And uh, you could even go and use JavaScript on a static page to query dynamic content if you wanted.
0: Right, if you wanted to go down the sort of rich front-end web framework type thing, like Angular, React, or whatever, right? that could be all fully static, but then like maybe there's a Flask API, for example.
1: Exactly, so you could even shimmy in some dynamic content into a static site. And how easy that is depends on, of course, how comfortable you are with all those technologies and the complexity of your dynamic content. Uh, so the more complicated that gets or the more comfortable you are with Python and of JavaScript, maybe the more inclined you should be to use Flask or Django.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. So maybe give us some examples. You know, we talked about Lecter before we, do, one, let's take one step back. One thing that I think we did, obviously we touched on the deployment and the simplicity. One thing we haven't touched on is just the performance of static sites. Obviously you talked about the CD and that's good, but, the consequences of high-performing sites are really important, right? Like, I think Amazon did a study saying, like, for every 500 milliseconds of latency they add, they lose like one percent of sales or something like that. I mean, like, <laughs> <and> <laughs> I'm sure a it's a deal. Yeah, and I'm sure it's not linear, yeah. right? Like, you add <laughs> you add that fifth bit, and it's like, too, like it's eventually people are going to go away, and it's going to tr- like become non-linear. But that's important, right?
1: Yeah, that margin. Is very important for most businesses. And even if you're just trying to make your own personal blog become more popular, it matters to you if your user base grows by one or 10%. It matters. And it also,
0: I think it feels different when you're on a site that you're like, dang, that is basically instant. Like that feels almost instant to me as I work with it. Whereas the other one, like, like if anyone has worked with SharePoint, they know what the opposite of that feels like, right? It's just like slow, painful, right? Like, I'm waiting again. Like, it just, even if it doesn't make people go away, it engenders a different experience with your consumers or your, your people.
1: Absolutely. It's, it's got an effect on your mood, even if it's subconscious, even if it's slight, it makes you a little less happy, a little more agitated. If it's slow,
0: this company doesn't really delight me. Right.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right. Things like that. So,
0: and I think Google, you can never be sure what Google cues off of because they would be massively game soon as they let that out of the bag. But I think, uh, Site performance also affects ranking.
1: Yes, I believe it does and they've got Google's got their own tools even to check site speed and If you use a static site generator to to produce static sites, you're generally going to score pretty well about that <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> you can, Yeah, <laughs> you can do little things to make your static content even faster and optimize above-the-fold content and things like this.
0: Like min- minification or bundling, things like that? Or
1: You can minify, you can compress, you can make sure that all the CSS that's relevant to content that you see above the fold, that is when you first load a page and not below it when you scroll, you can make sure that CSS is loaded first so that there's an even smaller flash of unstyled content.
0: Yeah, that's a cool idea.
1: Yeah, so you can do things like that, but if you... Simply just have static content on a CDN, no matter what, you get a try to make it really slow.
0: That's absolutely right. That's pretty awesome, and so all those benefits accrue to to those. And I think. The static site that is also sort of data driven, but then maybe mix in either like backend services over JavaScript or like a section of various sections that are fully dynamic. I think that that's a pretty interesting way to think about going beyond just, well, I have a couple of pages in a static site.
1: Definitely. You can interplay them, you can mix and match, and that will increase the speed of all the static components, which will make your users happier.
0: Yeah, absolutely. This portion of TalkPython to Me is brought to you by Linode. Are you looking for bulletproof hosting that's fast, simple, and incredibly affordable? Look past that bookstore and check out Linode at talkpython.fm slash Linode. That's L-I-N-O-D-E. Plans start at just $5 a month for a dedicated server with a gig of RAM. They have 10 data centers across the globe, so no matter where you are, there's a data center near you. Whether you want to run your Python web app, host a private Git server, or file server, You'll get native SSDs on all the machines, a newly upgraded 200 gigabit network, 24-7 friendly support, even on holidays, and a seven-day money-back guarantee. Do you need a little help with your infrastructure? They even offer professional services to help you get started with architecture, migrations, and more. Get a dedicated server for free for the next four months. Just visit talkpython.fm slash linode. So let's talk about some of the tooling that we might use for this. So Lecter obviously, is pretty awesome. Yes. <laughs> but th- it's not the only one in the Python space, right? There's a couple of others. Maybe you could just like touch on those just so people know kind of what if they see built with something at the bottom, they're like, oh, that was a static site generator.
1: Python or not, there's a handful of static site generators out there. Uh, a couple popular ones, I think, are Pelican and Hugo. Hugo is definitely very popular. I think that's written in Go. And they predated Lecter, I believe. And what they do is they use templating and Markdown. So they try and make it pretty easy for you to make your content in Markdown. And then they have a little backend functionality with a template context. So you can query things as you're building your static content so that you don't have to write the same HTML over and over and over again. Which is really handy.
0: Right, like an overall layout page with your navigation and footer and CSS and JavaScript, et cetera, right?
1: Yeah, not having HTML templates is a thing of the past that people should not be doing anymore. Uh, and <laughs> I deploy them from front page, come
0: on. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. People do still do them. That's absolutely true, but they, I don't think they really should anymore. Uh, so using these templating languages and the static site generators make people's lives easier. So they can not have to expend very much effort to expand their website. And a lot of these static site generators have uh, themes. So you can build off of the theme too, which is really handy for a lot of people. So they don't have to come up with their own CSS, at least from the bat. But Lecter came after these and it learned from some of their deficiencies too. Because again, going back to the history, I think these static site generators came out after the more complicated web frameworks did and these servers. So they were a step back from the initial reaction against pure HTML. So pure HTML is horrible, then it went to web frameworks, and then we got static site generators that kind of existed in between. And Lecter... Has some of the fe- it has all the features of those static site generators, but it's got some of the additional features that the f- web frameworks have that make life even simpler. Okay, like what? Like a CMS. So far as I know, Lector is the only static site generator that comes with a built-in CMS out of the box, ready to go.
0: Yeah, that is pretty interesting. So I guess maybe let's do like a high-level of just how it works. So with Lector, Lecter is a thing you install onto your machine and then it's a command line application you run to generate the statics file site structure and then you can use it also to serve up that content in a way that'll let you basically click a button like a little edit button on any page type away on it and it'll under under the covers actually write or save the markdown And then live reload that as you develop your site. And then I guess there's probably like some kind of lector deploy step that like finally builds it out to the final HTML.
1: Yes, there is. So it is a program that you download and install and you run it over the CLI. But you don't have to interact with the CLI very much to use it. I had it generating sites on all these two commands. Right.
0: Lecter quick start and then Lecter serve server, and then I like I was I was kind of good. I was playing with it. It's fun.
1: Good. And and that's how it should be. So the previous static site generators would mean that you had to either open Markdown and edit it in whatever editor you like, or just do everything in the terminal. And not everybody's comfortable with that. We're trying to make static sites accessible to people who aren't necessarily programmers.
0: Well, and static sites are especially beneficial to people who are not capable of, like, all the CLI stuff and running databases and that. Like, it's exactly the people who don't want to do that, the Flask Pyramid. SQL Alchemy type stuff for whom this really benefits because the deployment and like running of the site is crazy easy. And so, yeah, having that sort of focused in that area is really nice. Right. So would you say like if uh, you're working in a company and somebody comes to you and says, hey, can we build this new site? I'm thinking about using SharePoint or something like that because we have to be able to keep track of X, Y, or Z or, or whatever. Do you think Lecter might be like, hey, let's not use that. Let's set up a Lecter thing and you can actually use the CMS and manage it and stuff like that
1: would that be good it depends on a few things like if someone needs complicated user management they want to segregate employees and say certain employees have certain permissions and others don't then Lecter is not a fit for that doesn't make sense yeah because
0: static files don't have (laughs) great permission role things Other than at the OS
1: level? Right. And that's actually part of the beauty of it, really, is because there's no user permissions. Everybody can do everything, and it makes things simpler. It takes away a big chunk of complexity out of the system. Yeah.
0: That's the trade-off, right? It's that you get this super fast, super simple system, but it doesn't do everything, right? You could make it do everything, but then it wouldn't be simple. (laughs) It would be hard again. It would be SharePoint.
1: What I have seen people do is they will run Lecter on a work LAN, and they'll have all the employees use the same Lecter setup so they can all edit pages uh, as they will. And if you trust your employees to you know not make horrible mistakes, then that works really well. You don't necessarily need all of those permissions.
0: Yeah, I feel like a lot of companies go too far, and they're like, "Well, we've got to lock everything down, and restrict people, and whatnot." And like, it just blows my mind. Like, if if you don't trust these people, why are you employing them? Like, if if literally you're like, "I will not trust this person to touch this file," like that person should probably just not work here <laughs> as of this afternoon, because like that is a strong statement for so many things. But I see it over and over in these companies, right? I mean, I guess there's a difference between protecting yourself from like I clicked on a phishing link but there's a lot of these cases where it's like clearly we don't trust our employees and like well why are you employing them right
1: right and I get to uh, concerns about people doing things by accident so not like maliciousness but accidentally deleting your content but you can protect against that in other ways too you don't necessarily need complicated user permissions Dropbox even has backups you can take (laughs)
0: that's right
1: (laughs) and uh, you could even have someone who is maintaining the lecture deployment locally on a LAN and five content producers adding and editing content, but the one person actually making Git commits every now and then by hand because they know what they're doing. Right.
0: You could even automate that, right? Just every hour, just commit the site. <laughs> Whatever it is, it's like this time of day we commit it. And you, that way, at least you have a way to go roll back. There's a version history there. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. Uh, so maybe let's do like a rundown through some of the core core features because I, I think they're pretty awesome. We've been sort of touching on some of them. The first one is around deployment, right? It says basically you can deploy anywhere. So I could go and I could set up something kind of probably over the top, like a EC two. Linux machine or Windows machine, copy my files up there and serve it there. Maybe I could set up like a $5 Linode server, which would be pretty sweet. But being static files, there's even like more options, right? Like I could go way basic and put it on S3 or where else could I put it?
1: Yes. Well, just like you're saying, because it's a static site, it can go anywhere. It can go on any CDN at all, basically. Um, you can put it on S3. What we do for our own personal website is we host it on S3 and then have CloudFront take care of it from there. So it's got an S3 backup, but it's really just using a CDN. And putting your site entirely on a CDN is groundbreaking. (laughs) You know, when I figured (laughs) out that I could do that, (laughs) I was all about it. It's blazing fast now. And I don't have to work. It's super easy.
0: There's no denial of service. But I guess another thing that's pretty interesting about that is, like, if I open up my MicroWhiskey log, which is the worker processes for my my websites, and I watch them, a lot of times people are coming requesting things that I want them to request, but you know, periodically they'll be going to uh, wp-login.php or some other malicious thing my site is not built in WordPress it's Python so I don't really (laughs) care like I just like block those people but it's very clear that there there's like a continuous sort of low burn attack against your servers against your web server infrastructure and your site and it's super hard to like SQL inject static (laughs) <laughs> on a static
1: site, exactly. right? Like any of these other things. If you have no logic backend and you have no database that's going to get compromised, then you don't have to worry.
0: <laughs> that's right. I mean, it's down to does Cloudflare itself get, or Cloudfront itself get hacked, right? Is that a thing that can be done? And if it can't, then you're good.
1: <laughs> and even if it can, it's kind of not your problem.
0: Yeah. You could be defaced, but it's not like you're going to be in the news because now a million recordings from a teddy bear with between kids and their teddy bear are now on the, like, on the internet.
1: <laughs> and honestly, you probably won't even be defaced. If CloudFront is having any sort of problem, it's probably going to affect more than just you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it also is better for security because that means... If any problem happens, it'll get a lot of attention and get fixed faster because the rest of the world is looking at it, not just your users. So it's cross-platform, right? It works like the the tooling to
0: generate the static content. I mean, obviously HTML is cross-platform, but it does take some tooling to like power the CMS to generate the data files that are then built into HTML, right?
1: Right. Lecter is built in Python. And it runs on Linux and Macs and Windows. It should run everywhere. And the CMS that Lecter runs internally is just front-end content. It's built in React. It's You open up a browser, and you see your CMS. Yeah, that's pretty cool.
0: There's no database, but there are. it acts like a database, right? There's a set of files and a file folder structure, basically a markdown, and then these INI files, right? Tell us maybe a bit like at the interplay of of page templates, the markdown, and these like sort of definition files.
1: Frameworks had like Django, and when Django you have model files, and you've got admin files, and you have databases that you connect to, and Lecter is kind of faking that, but it's making it a lot simpler and accessible. So instead of a models file .py, and writing Python code, we have simple INI files where you can define fields, and content types and page types, and all of that data is stored in flat files on your system. And then the templates have access to all of that content in their template context. So you can use the templates with the Jinja tags to query for uh, body content for titles for URLs or checkboxes or anything like that.
0: That's really really clever So let me repeat this back to see you see if I got that right So we have these ini files and they define like basically what data is in a given type of Page and you have different types of page like blog posts uh, Landing pages whatever so like you could say a blog post contains a title content an author and a published date for example and then you have a markdown file that has those various pieces of information entered into them. And finally, you have a Jinja2 template that takes that bit of information and then renders it like however you would in like a regular HTML. It's like a dynamic HTML expression of that.
1: That's all pretty close, but I think you got a little bit wrong. So the information isn't stored all in one markdown file. It's stored in a lecter proprietary format that is just a flat file of data. Oh, right. But you don't see that most of the time as a user. What you see is you interact with the CMS. So you define the INI file, which is a model file, and then you go to the CMS and you make a new page of a certain type. And the CMS will show you all the content fields that you need to populate. So the publish date and the author and the body content are all separate fields in the CMS. And do they have types? Yes. And those those fields can be of type Markdown or string or date or integer or checkbox or anything like that. So the template, you can query for the specific fields and do template logic on those fields if you want or just simply display them. It'll render the Markdown for you if the type is a Markdown file or Markdown content.
0: That's pretty cool. Another thing that's pretty nice for large sites is dependency tracking, right? So initially, like who cares, it's just a few files, but you know, you could easily see over time something with a thousand pages, right? Like if in say a bookstore, like a, a data-driven bookstore, you might have a landing page, a category listing page, and um, individual book details page. It might be just three pages, but the data drives like thousands of distinct URLs. In a static site generator, you literally build a thousand pages, right? And then like generate because your database is this the stuff. So with dependency tracking
1: like that could be a big deal, right? So what's the story of that? That can be a big deal. So you're swapping out a database like Postgres for flat files, and that has certain trade-offs, right? Uh, Postgres is optimized on the file system and it's fast. Plat files are not optimized for size or speed, but they're much easier to read by human, and that means you can actually version control all this. It's not binary anymore; you're actually storing the text from the various fields of these books, or um, the author information or publication information. So,
0: if I like, maybe you change like the details about one book, and you want to redeploy, you don't want to regenerate. A thousand files, you want to just regenerate that one HTML file, right?
1: Right, and that's what would be generated. So if you're changing the information about one book, then there would be a single file that is touched that's devoted to that one book in your flat file system in Lecter. And that would have a line change in it when you change the author information, reach- you're correcting a typo. And then Lecter would notice that change and auto rebuild the relevant HTML file for it. And it wouldn't build all of it. Uh, when you run Lecture Server the first time, it builds all of your files. But then it just is looking for changes. And it builds files for anything that is touched. That's nice. It'll even do that like as you
0: interact with them, either on the file system or through the CMS, right? That's uh, pretty slick.
1: And unless you're changing content that's actually relevant to 1,000 pages, you're not going to build 1,000 pages all over again.
0: Yeah, that's real cool. This portion of Talk Python to Me has been brought to you by Rollbar. One of the frustrating things about being a developer is dealing with errors, ah, relying on users to report errors, digging through log files, trying to debug issues, or getting millions of alerts just flooding your inbox and ruining your day. With Rollbar's full stack error monitoring, you get the context, insight, and control you need to find and fix bugs faster. Adding Rollbar to your Python app is as easy as pip install Rollbar. You can start tracking production errors and deployments in eight minutes or less. Are you considering self-hosting tools for security or compliance reasons? Then you should really check out Rollbar's Compliance SaaS option. Get advanced security features and meet compliance without the hassle of self-hosting, including HIPAA, ISO 27001, Privacy Shield, and more. They'd love to give you a demo. Give Rollbar a try today. Go to talkpython.fm slash Rollbar and check them out so it has built-in image uh sort of thumbnailing tools and stuff that's that's pretty nice. It has a plugin system. So that sounds like you could really take sort of lecture out of the box and then make it really adaptable to kind of the way you might with say a traditional data driven app. You can also generate you can also mess with the jinja templates which is sort of a programmable layer as well, right?
1: Yes, so you can do a lot with the plugins system, And a lot has been done. We've got a handful of more than a handful of plugins on our website. Uh, there are plugins that change functionality inside your Jinja templates. There's plugins that change how your markdown is rendered. So if you want special formatting and you want to enable certain niceties in the markdown.
0: Like GitHub flavor table sort of thing?
1: Yeah, you can change you can change the renderers or the lexers in the markdown. You can add classes so you can have special markdown syntax that's your own, and have the rendered markdown uh, use custom HTML classes. There's admonitions. There are plugins that allow you to deploy to various different places, like the S3 deploy isn't built-in in Lecter. that's provided by a plugin, as opposed to GitHub page deploys which is
0: native. Oh, that's pretty sweet. So you can yeah. actually go in there and like uh, sort of tell the plugin your API key at, and then just run a command and then just you have a new version online?
1: That's right. And you can hook nice. into, <laughs> so you can write a plugin to deploy to anywhere you like. Uh, that's
0: awesome. Uh, it also has a Python API. So, Is that just um, like a different angle to get in there instead of writing a plugin, maybe from the outside instead of the inside or like what's an example of what I might do with the API or what I could do.
1: Most common use of the API is within the plugins itself. It's telling you how to access every part of the lecture system through a plugin. So the plugins have various events, various event hooks inside the lecture code that they respond to. So when something happens, It trips an event, and any plugin listening on that event can have the opportunity to do something. But that plugin has access to all of the Elector source files in Python, so it can import everything and change anything. I
0: see. That's pretty cool. So maybe... Maybe some part, uh, let's say, for an example, like part of your site depends upon data you might get from an API or something like that, like a like a web service, right, that is not part of your site. Maybe at build time, you just, like, go and hit that, refresh it, and then dump it in there and, and render it. So it, it's kind of live. It's sort of cached from the moment of generation anyway.
1: Yes, you could do that, definitely. You could do that. You could change the types that are in Lecter. You could add a content type that's entirely new, a field type. You could generate entirely different kinds of pages. There are plugins that add uh, template functionality to allow Atom feeds and Discus really easily. Right, right, Discus Discus is pretty nice. And
0: yeah, I I guess you could even like regenerate like an RSS file sort of thing, right? for blogs or a store, you want to have the new items or whatever.
1: Yes, so there is an RSS Atom feed plugin. Yeah, very cool.
0: So one of the areas that I was, when I was playing with Lecter, I'm like, this thing is really nice. One thing I would like to see uh, when I was playing with it is maybe ways to configure how it looks, right? Because it comes out and it looks like, like it looks, but I'm like, oh, could I like, you know, one of the things I love about Bootstrap is like themes. Right, I can go to, like say, Wrap Bootstrap or something like that and go, uh, here's a whole bunch of stuff. I'm not a web designer, but that looks really close to what I want. Let's see if I can hack that into the shape I want it. <laughs> you know? uh, what's the story around themes for what you guys are doing?
1: Themes are really new in Lecter, actually. They did not exist prior to a few months ago. But as of Lecter 3.1, which came out in January or February, there is now theming functionality in Lecter. There's not a lot of themes available yet, but they're growing in number slowly. Um, So people should go ahead and try this out and make some and publish them for us. We'll add them to our list. Yeah, that sounds really good. So themes allow you to easily modify the look and feel of your website, of course. But in Lecter, they can do more than that. They can add content type. You can have models in your themes even.
0: I see, so if I wanted to have a theme for like a photography store, I could have like a, a photo model type that has like the picture and the little copyright information and the date and things like that. Yes, absolutely,
1: and as you would expect with a theme, anything can be overwritten or extended to. So when you're using a theme, like a photography theme, you could easily add your own models for videos if you also do videography. I see. If you decide you don't like after using the theme for a while, you don't like the model and you want to extend it, you can do that too.
0: Okay. Yeah, that sounds sounds really nice. So when I went through and sort of created this little playground site that I was playing with, I went through and I installed Lecter. I did that off of GitHub and then then I typed Lecter quick start and I got the site and then I Played with it, like how would I incorporate themes into that? Like, what? How do I know what themes are there? Is there a way to type like "quick start photography one" or whatever?
1: <laughs> there is uh, not a command line tool to just grab the themes so easily yet, but we've got some issues on the GitHub for making that. Uh, right now, what you would have to do is where you have your electric code, you make a themes directory. And in that themes directory, you put any themes that you like. And the themes that exist right now are in their own repository on GitHub, Lecter themes. Mm -hmm. So you can check those out and download or clone any of those. And they will be picked up by your quick start. You'll have to, the quick start provides its own default styling and templates and models. So when you Add the theme. You'll have to remove some of the ones that Quick Start added because they will be overwriting the theme. Right. Because that's a a feature of the themes is that they're overwritable.
0: Right. Right. Well, oh, that sounds pretty cool. I think it maybe a really cool plugin would be like list all the themes, activate the themes. That who knows? Would it be possible to write one that did that? Seems like it would.
1: It would. though so that's uh sounds like such a good feature. I'd like it in Electric Core. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah, that's true. It should just be built in, right? Maybe some experimental stuff could be done as a plug-in that it could be brought in, all right? Kind of like uh, maybe Python standard library style.
1: Yeah, it could be. But definitely theming is new, but it's very exciting. Um, So I'm, I'm trying to push the themes because I think that'll make people's lives a lot easier.
0: Yeah, I think it's really, really great. And it definitely could open up sort of like a, a way for people to... Reuse the design of sites they like. There is a showcase, right, at uh, getlector.com/showcase of people, yes, or sites that people have created, which is, is pretty cool. A lot of them seem to be created by Armin Ronicker of Flask fame. Like wh- he was involved in the early days of this project. Is that right?
1: Yes, absolutely. Armin is the creator of Lector.
0: Yeah, that's kind of what I thought, but I wasn't one hundred percent sure.
1: Armin is the creator of all the Pallets projects a creator of uh, Jinja and WorkZug and Flask. So he's done a lot, and Lecter uses many of those tools and wraps them up nicely.
0: Yeah, when I typed Lecter server, I got localhost 5000. I'm like, I see, Flask, okay.
1: (laughs) Yep, (laughs) absolutely. Flask is what's driving the CMS. So it's a Flask server using a bunch of React. Okay, nice. And the showcase... Since he made Lecter and he made GetLecter's originally getlecter.com, the original website, the first few pieces of the showcase are his websites. But you know, scroll down, you can see others. One that I really love is a PyCon website that is on the showcase. It's a beautiful example of a single page website.
0: Yeah, PyCon Philippines. Yeah. Yep. Nice. Yeah, that's a good looking site. Very, very cool. So uh, speaking of single page, like maybe the last thing we'll, we'll have time to touch on is you have a bunch of guides. So there's the quick starter, but it's like, all right, well, I want to create something that has categories or discus things, or how do I deal with error pages, right? So you have a bunch of guides that go through those types of things. Do you want to tell people a bit about those?
1: Categories, for instance, is a really handy guide because it's a very commonly wanted feature. You want to be able to have projects or pages that are cross-linked somehow by certain categories.
0: Right. It's one thing if it had like one category, you just put it like in that subfolder and it's fine or something. Right. But if it could be like in science and
1: engineering, like,
0: Oh boy, now you're in trouble. Right.
1: Right. Exactly. Because you could manually create all of this and make them all separate pages, but that's not using a lot of the power that's available to you.
0: Right. And data
1: duplication as well. And though Lector can be used in very simple fashion, uh, some of, the power is a little tricky, so we've got some guides to help sort that out for you. Uh, so you don't have to create all of the logic and the macros in your templates to figure out how to appropriately use the categories and how to set up the models so that you have the categories functionality.
0: Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, so you got the discus comments, the error pages, which, you know, is always a, a nice thing to have. Uh, pagination, yeah.
1: Pagination is critical, especially if you have a blog. There's a guide for single page apps, which is really nice because if you have in mind a static site generator building an HTML file for every page that you have, and every page is a different topic, then it might not be obvious to you how to concatenate or combine all of that content into a single page, which is what you really want. Sometimes,
0: Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, just show me the latest flat down the list in, in order. Things like that. Uh, Sitemap is also sitemap.xml. We talked about the SEO benefits of static sites. Like, here's a big one.
1: Yes. So there's a quick guide to get that up and running, which is really handy. There's also a webpack guide. So it can get you started integrating some of the fanciness of the rich JavaScript
0: tooling. Webpack does all sorts of interesting things like SCSS or less or bundling or a whole bunch of those types of things if you want them, right?
1: Yes. You could even make a fairly complicated React app on top of Lecter if you wanted.
0: Yeah, that's cool. I've looked at using Webpack for my sites and I decided I would rather have something simpler. And I just use like super aggressive caching, like cache this for a year everything that's, that's static just cache it for a year so the very first time you might hit four javascript files and three css files but you'll never get them again so like I'm not going to go through <laughs> the layers of, of trying to regenerate that stuff but I know a lot of people make use of webpack and it's you know it works
1: for them Yep and there's a lot of uh, webpack functionality around modifying your build system too so you can minimize all of your content we were talking before about minimizing even a static site So a lot of that can be done with Webpack or Browserify or Grunt or anything like that.
0: So where does continuous integration fit into this whole story of static sites and Lecter? Like, does it make even sense to set up continuous integration and have like some, something like Travis CI or the various, you know, servers, like looking at your possibly your, your Git history and checking those out and verifying everything like compiles correctly with Lecter?
1: You can wrap up tests in uh, Travis and you can uh, automate builds with Travis our own website is actually done like that so every time we push a commit to the elector website repository on github Travis goes and it builds all of that and if it's good then it deploys it so that's really handy.
0: it just use like the S3 plugin and just like run that command on successful build?
1: Basically. It's not using S three, but it is deploying on the successful build.
0: Nice. Okay. Well that's really really cool. Yeah.
1: And you can automate all of that with other things too. It doesn't have to be Travis. You can make it on a cron job if you wanted. Right. Anything like that. Yes, but it, it doesn't I guess it doesn't depend as much.
0: It's not like there's not as much logic, but I guess you could still screw up one of your Jinja templates or something like that right so you might want to test
1: yes and that's not too hard to do lecture like is appropriately verbose I think and how it outputs information it'll tell you when it's building all the all the web pages and it'll tell you their success or failure so you can look out for those basic failures so if you can test for the page building successfully that won't of course test if the content is correct so if you made some typos <laughs> Then you'll yeah, still have to catch level. that by hand. <laughs> yes,
0: maybe something with Selenium against like uh, I don't know something, something local. Who knows? But not <laughs> a build server is not going to do it for sure. Nice to me. It sounds like Lecter is this fills a pretty interesting, ha- middle ground, I guess, between full stack stuff and, and static sites.
1: Having models is a game changer for a static site, and the CMS baked in is a really easy way to use it. So. You have a lot of the features that, for instance, Django would have except for the actual back-end processing, which you often don't need. But that doesn't mean you don't want models. You don't want to define different content types and different data structures. You just don't need the additional complexity of actually using Postgres or having back-end Python.
0: You don't need the servers and the databases and all of that comes with taking those on board. Those are more like puppies, right? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you once you get them you have to you know raise them and care for them continuously basically oh yes
1: <laughs> and there's lo- there's loads of headache that you avoid and not having to do that too you don't have to manage your own ci cd becomes really simple and you don't have to worry about security as much as we talked about yeah and so, it's blazing yeah. fast on top
0: of that. Uh, scalability distributed denial service these are not real issues yeah
1: right You let the CDN handle
0: that. Yeah, exactly. Very cool. All right. So let's leave it there for Lecter, but I'll ask you the two final questions before I I let you out of here. So if you're going to work on some Python code, what editor do you use?
1: Four years, I've been an Emacs user.
0: Oh, right on.
1: (laughs) I've got my own .emacs stored in a Git repo that I can't live without.
0: Nice. So it's right there. Anytime you got to check it out, you're all good, right?
1: Yep. .emacs.d.
0: Yeah, Perfect. And then notable PyPI package. Uh, obviously, there's Lecter, right? Which is, is great. But what else?
1: A personal favorite of mine for DevOps is SaltStack. Um, I've been doing a lot of DevOps at Terminal Labs for the last couple of years. And SaltStack is enormously feature-rich. It can do almost everything I can think of. Um, and we've got our own open source project named Rambo, which is built on top of SaltStack partially to make DevOps even easier. We're building it as a provider agnostic provisioning framework. Um, so oh, nice. Rambo makes great use of Vagrant and SaltStack to make a lot of things a lot easier. So it helps get up and running with a lot of things pretty fast. The other thing, which isn't exactly a pit package that I really want to plug, is Conda. Are you familiar with Conda?
0: Yeah, Conda's awesome, especially if you're trying to do something on Windows involving data science and VC var alls dot bat or something like that, right? Like just basically pip installing a lot of the data science tooling requires like funky compilers that are not easily accessible on windows and this pre-builds it and you're, you kind of get everything prepackaged and ready to roll, right?
1: Absolutely. Even outside of data science and machine learning, but just normal Python development, Conda has saved my butt more than once. You never know. It always surprises me when I try and pip install something has some c dependency that i didn't have on my system that it doesn't work so i would either have to google around and fight it for an hour or two trying to figure out how to install it or use conda and it just works
0: conda itself forget this thing we're out of here <laughs> that's cool yeah really nice really nice all right final call to action people are all excited about static sites about Lecter.
1: what can they do go check it out firstly I'll try it out hopefully you love it if you do please If you're a Python developer, try contributing. We have an active Gitter, and uh, I'm pretty active in the community. I'll try to respond to anything.
0: Yeah, I think that's how I actually got in touch with you, is I found you on the Gitter channel. Yeah, so that was cool.
1: Right. Well, I would love to see more plugins being made. You can do anything with a plugin. And we also would love to see more themes. So if you're a theme developer and even not a Python developer, and you want to spread your theme around to the lecture world instead of just Hugo or WordPress, then come on
0: over. Yeah, that sounds awesome. All right. Well, I think Lecture is pretty cool. People should check it out. And Joseph, thanks for being on the show. It was great to talk about all this stuff with you. Thank you. This has been another episode of Talk Python to Me. Our guest on this episode has been Joseph Nix. And the episode was brought to you by Linode and Rollbar. Linode is bulletproof hosting for whatever you're building with Python. Get four months free at talkpython.fm slash Linode. That's L-I-N-O-D-E. Rollbar takes the pain out of errors. They give you the context and insight you need to quickly locate and fix errors that might have gone unnoticed until your users complain, of course. As talkpython to me listeners, track a ridiculous number of errors for free at rollbar.com slash talkpython to me Want to level up your Python? If you're just getting started, try my Python jumpstart by building 10 apps or our brand new 100 days of code in Python. And if you're interested in more than one course, be sure to check out the Everything Bundle. It's like a subscription that never expires. Be sure to subscribe to the show. Open your favorite podcatcher and search for Python. We should be right at the top. You can also find the iTunes feed at slash iTunes, Google Play feed at slash play, and direct RSS feed at slash RSS on talkpython.fm. This is your host, Michael Kennedy. Thanks so much for listening. I really appreciate it. Now get out there and write some Python code.